Hey, well, good morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, welcome. By the way, I'll mention um, as we get rolling, um, for those of you that come regularly, you don't get a pamphlet, but uh, we still, you're welcome to grab one on the way in, but typically you don't end up grabbing one because you've seen what's in there. So uh, we've started putting connect cards by the door. And if you have prayer requests or if you'd like to respond in any way, please, as we as we get finished up, grab one of those and, uh, and respond in that way. Hey, thanks for being here. As was mentioned, we are a new church in the Tri-Cities. We are about um, uh, who is Jesus and what does it look like to follow him? That's really important in this journey. Who is this Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? And, and today, Today we're going to talk about a passage where that exact question is asked. We've been studying in the in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we've been looking at at uh, Jesus. And a primary question in Luke is the identity of Jesus. People see him uh, to be a healer. They see him to be um, a, a teacher. They see him in a lot of roles. And the question is the question that Luke is trying to answer authoritatively for his readers is: um, Is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the promised one? Was he the one that Israel was waiting for to usher in a new era in which all the world could come to know the hope found in God? So the question is, what is the identity of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke? And we're going we're gonna to talk about exactly that this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 8 here in, a, in, a, in just a couple minutes. You know, I've been blessed to get to travel around a lot of the world. Um, been on five uh, different mission trips overseas from Africa to Honduras to Peru and um, got got to see God do some incredible things throughout the world. And I hope you've gotten to travel uh, both on, on mission and just to see the beautiful world that God has created. To, to travel is such a blessing and, and such an opportunity. And, and yet, in spite of the travel, I've lived most of my life here in the Tri-Cities. Uh, we lived a couple years in Portland, um, but for a few years I went down and lived in Texas, um, in uh, West Texas of all places. I went to Abilene Christian University. Uh, not a beautiful place, um, not a terribly exciting place, but there is one incredibly memorable thing about uh, West Texas, and it's the thunderstorms. Now, growing up, we had uh, great-grandparents in Oklahoma and in Texas, so we used to travel down there in the summers. And I remember as a kid to see a thunderstorm that when the lightning hits, it's not, it's not vertical, it's not a strike, it's lightning that fills the sky. It's as bright as daylight when the, when the lightning hits. And some of, you, some of you probably know this, you've, been, you've lived in places that, that have these sorts of storms. And I remember they would have um, tornado warning horns, you know, and, and, uh, and, and the horn would go off and you'd look out the window and you'd say, no, I don't think there's a problem right now. And in a blink of an eye, a storm could hit, right? From, from calm and, and, and ordinary to all of a sudden, just a major storm has rushed into the area. And, and you're rushing for then the cellar um, to hang out with your preservatives and all the things that you keep down in your cellar. That's what I remember from my great-grandparents' house that had canned uh, fruit, right? And so, um, yeah, but it's incredible that the speed at which a storm can rush into life. Uh, in, in, in a physical sense. But in a spiritual sense, or as we live lives, um, it's amazing also how quickly storms of life can come on. It's amazing how one day from a perfectly ordinary situation and an otherwise good day, 
a thought can come into our mind, and all of a sudden everything changes. We're laying in our bed at night, and we think of something or remember something, and a sleepless night is to come. Everything was good until that one thought crossed our mind, and, and just everything, everything changed. It can be a phone call from a doctor who, with a diagnosis, right? Uh, you know, but that moment when a storm comes on in life, everything seemed incredibly ordinary until that moment that the storm came rushing into life. It's amazing how from the highest of highs, often we find ourselves at the lowest of lows, and it's incredible how, how quickly it can all change. In the story we're going to be looking at in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, Jesus and his followers have been traveling around uh, outside Jerusalem, and they're traveling there in Israel, um, and he's teaching, and he's healing, and he's preaching, and thousands of people are following everywhere that he goes, and, and he's overwhelmed. He often has to, has to get away for just some solitude and some quiet, because he's just overwhelmed by the crowds, and he can't keep up with the pace and the activity. And in the story today, we see um, this really interesting blend of Jesus' humanity and divinity, Because in the story today, Jesus um, finds himself exhausted and jumping in a boat to head across the lake. There's there's ministry and opportunity on the other side, and um, and uh, and it is time for him to move. And uh, so let's read in Luke chapter eight, verse twenty-two. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, "Let's go over to the other side of the lake." So they got into their boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water. And they obey him. There's that question. Who is this man? So Jesus invites his disciples on this day. It's time to go. They, they uh, had been through a busy season, incredible things happening, and it's time to move to the next place. So Jesus invites them onto the boat. And um, uh, the boats in the first century, I want to I just glance at this. I thought it was interesting. You know, what are they in? What's happening right now in this situation? And on the right here, you see a boat um, uh, from the first century, the, the pottery and uh, the nails and all that. This was found on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, uh, where, where our story is taking place. And uh, it spent six years in a chemical bath before it was be able to be put on display. They dug it up from the, the mud there on the shore. And on the left, then, is a model of what that um, boat uh, would have looked like full size. They're not huge, but these are the boats that would have been used for fishing or for transport and that sort of thing across the lake. And um, and we see um, in the other tellings, um, in Matthew and in Mark, uh, we see Jesus' exhaustion. We, we hear a little bit more about that, that he is able in that boat out on the sea um, to just crash. He's, he's done. He's out. And even when the storm comes, uh, Jesus is sound asleep. We, we, we catch this glimpse of, of Jesus um, just exhausted from, from the work, uh, incredibly human in this moment. And, uh, you know, when I've read this story in the past, I, I think I've, I've maybe sometimes read it like Jesus is pretend sleeping or something, right? Maybe, maybe he's, and, and if you're a parent, you know what pretend sleeping is, right? Your kids come in in the morning and, uh, and you 
pretend sleep. You give them this groggy voice, and it's like, yeah, well, you know, right. Um, so you know what pretend sleep, and and, uh, and and I think sometimes I perceived it that way. You know, he couldn't really be asleep. But, you know, Matthew and Mark do a good job of explaining Jesus, who is exhausted and is down, right? The humanity of Jesus. And uh, so his disciples come to them uh, because a huge storm has come up. Now, I'll mention, um, they are seasoned fishermen. Four of the 12 apostles were fishermen prior. They know about the squalls. They know about the storms. They're familiar with this. But they come to Jesus in a panic on this day. Uh, In fact, in the other accounts, they say, don't you even care that we're about to drown? They come to Jesus in a panic, saying, Jesus, uh, where are you? Uh, To them, it felt like Jesus didn't care about the situation and the dire need in this moment. And so Jesus speaks into the storm. I can only imagine to have been uh, one of his apostles and sitting in the boat or standing in the boat and the waves are crashing over and we're soaking wet and we're cold and we're in a panic. And Jesus gets up and it's like, what did we expect him to do? Uh, Notice at the end, they did not expect him to calm a storm, right? They're amazed and, and, and fearful that he was able to. So I don't know what, what, they're, what they're concerned for. You know, maybe they just needed someone else to commiserate with in a dire situation, which we do. We can relate to that, right? But they're like, Jesus, don't you even care that we are about to drown out here and the waves are crashing over and we're standing in the boat? And we woke Jesus up and, um, and uh, Jesus stands up and he speaks into the storm. Can you picture the scene as Jesus says, be quiet, be still. And the waves subside, and the rain stops, and the people stand in awe of Jesus in that moment. You see, because as much as this story demonstrates Jesus' humanity, exhausted and tired and human, we see it demonstrating his divinity. You know, of all the things that we as humans have conquered on earth you know we've we've walked on the moon and we fly into space and you know we have conquered uh, so much of science and, and can accomplish incredible things one thing that we have yet to figure out how to conquer is the elements as humans we have not been able to tame the elements and so tragedies like katrina Tragedies like uh, tsunamis wiping out entire towns and peoples, right? They still happen around us. And on this day, Jesus, in a very human moment, exhausted and asleep, stands up and demonstrates something far beyond human ability as he proves power over even the elements. Be still and be calm, and the waves die down. And the rain stops, and people sit in awe of their Savior, sit in awe of this man. And to be fair, probably to, to use the term their Savior at this point, they're still asking questions, right? They, they don't maybe yet perceive it like you and I see it from looking back on the whole story beginning to end. At this point, they're afraid and they're amazed, and they ask, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? You know, when it comes to our faith, as we bring it around to us here in the 21st century, um, you know, we're cool with a lot of Christianity. We're really cool with this idea of grace, 
right? Uh, this is this is comfortable. We love this. When 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 our hearts were turned, and when we realized God is gracious and loves even me, man, we like that. That's that's a really good thing. We are cool with grace. Um, we're really cool uh, in in most cases with community. Like we want people to walk with on this journey. So when God says, "Yeah, there's a reason for the church," and there's a reason that we have branches in our church, there's a reason we do this stuff, and it's for community. It's that you don't bear a burden alone. It's that you have people walking alongside you, partnering with you in this journey. And and, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we're cool with having other people. I'm not an island. I don't I don't want to do this. All alone, I love and appreciate the relationship and the support that comes in community. There's a lot of aspects of our, of our Christianity, of our faith, that we're really cool with. But when the storms come up in life, sometimes that starts to change. Like, like learning to trust in God and to ask those questions of Jesus when the storm of life hits, well, that's not so cool. That's not always so easy. It's, it's the unforeseen storms in life, especially, that, that we're not cool with. It's like, how do, I, how do I move forward? And we go to Jesus in a panic, sometimes expecting and sometimes like them not expecting for him to have a solution, but we turn to Jesus. And Jesus' response to them that we'll get to more in just a minute is, where is your faith? So we'll talk more about faith as it relates to the storms of life in just a minute. I was really blessed this last week um, to meet with two different organizations that I'm excited for branches and for us as a church to be involved with. Um, Habitat for Humanity does just incredible work in in our community. Um, They have everything from restoration projects, people um, that can't can't keep their homes up and and we can go in and help them, to uh, home building projects. And uh, um, just in- incredible things happening there with that organization. I also met with um, uh, World Relief, who brings refugees uh, to the Tri-Cities from other countries. And it was interesting the way these two meetings came together. As I met with Crystal from Habitat for Humanity, um, she told me about this Burmese family, a family from Burma, who uh, they, uh, they had um, lost uh, all their extended family. And uh, the father uh, had had been killed, and um, and so the mother and her children uh, moved to a refugee camp there, and um, and for thirty years they lived in a refugee camp, and I don't know if you've seen on the news the stories of what it is like to live in a refugee camp, but this lady she tells her story of of her experience there, and the food comes to the camp every fifteen days. So every 15 days, food comes in. And and this mother describes um, that the first five days are days of rejoicing. When the food comes in, the first five days, man, people are excited and happy. And the next five days are the days of fear and conserving. And the next five are the days of starving and silence. People don't speak. People don't move for five days while they starve. And she lived there for 30 years, and two times a month, she watched her children starve for days on end, right? Can you imagine that? And, and, um, and, uh, and, and praise God that World Relief was able to bring this family to the States. We're now Habitat for Humanity, and uh, 12 of our churches, and I hope we participate, are building a home for this family. 
But talk about storms of life. Talk about the seasons. And in her case, for 30 years, the storm raged on. Well, she, a Christian lady, called out to God, right? For 30 years, that, that storm waged on. And Jesus asked, in this moment of a storm in the lives of his apostles, where's your faith? Talk about faith. I want to be more like this lady. You know, I want to be those people that when the storms of life hit, I go to Jesus with them, but I can trust. Right? Faith is a, faith is a hard subject, though. You see, because when the storms in life come, the fear kicks in. Right? And, and fear has an ability to uh, impact us on an incredible number of levels. But in its simplest terms, we talk about fear in terms of, of fight or flight. Right? We hear a sound in, in the dark or freeze, and there's a bunch of others that have been added to it. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of other things. But in its simplest terms, we could speak of uh, fight and flight. And so we hear a sound, and depending on our personality or the prompt, um, we will either puff up for a fight or we will run away. I'm a little bit more of a runner, just so you know. Just thought I should throw that out there, okay? I'm a runner. Um, so, uh, so, so fight or flight. And, but those are the momentary things. Now, if we want to talk beyond fear, then we can talk about anxiety, right? And a similar, but maybe a little bit of a different subject. And when anxiety, when that sort of fear kicks in, there's not an immediate place to run to. So often we find ourselves escaping, right? And that creates addictions and habits that are incredibly unhealthy in life. When that fear and that anxiety persists, there's not a place to run, and, and we want to fight. And so sometimes we see people becoming incredibly harsh and, and angry, and they just deal with people and life in angry ways, right? Because fight or flight, when, it, when, when it's not a momentary thing that I can be away from, well, it, it still affects us on some level. And so, so, so fear, we can be f- afraid of all sorts of different things. We're afraid of physical harm. We're afraid of uh, failure. We're afraid of rejection, right? These are the sorts of things, the big general things in life. I, I don't want hurt or, and I don't want sickness. And I can be afraid of that, by the way, for my children and my family, right? For loved ones. We're afraid of physical harm. We're afraid of, of failure. There's nothing worse than being seen as a failure, right, by the people around us. We're afraid of rejection. And and when fear starts to kick in, the, the question Jesus asks is, where is your faith? And and I guess that's a hard question because, I mean, what does it mean to live by faith? Second Corinthians 5, 7, it says, we live by faith and not by sight. So one is that Everything that we have to measure the world around us, you know, comes through our five senses. And so our sight and our hearing are going to be primary. But Jesus says, no, there's another way to live. Just because the storm looks bad doesn't mean it's hopeless. So so Second Corinthians says we can live by faith, not just by the things that we're seeing, not just by the input that we're receiving. Faith is about a knowledge and a trust in God that's deeper than the circumstances around us, right? Faith is about uh, something that I know and that I trust in, in spite of the circumstances and the things that I'm experiencing in life. And so as we face this fear of of harm or of failure uh, or of rejection, 
I asked myself this week as I was studying and considering, so what does faith speak into these three things in our lives? Well, for one, faith says that the potential harm is temporary. Okay, and, and this can sound cheap, and I get that. And, and on some level, uh, this, is, this is really challenging. Uh, but harm is temporary. If I am a person of faith, then I know that even though I am dealing with cancer, I'm praying for healing, I know that God is taking care of me through eternity. And so the experiences now are temporary, right? So, so faith says, well, physical harm it's not good. We don't like it. We can pray to be released from it, and yet it's temporary. Physical is, is, is temporary. And, and faith speaks into our failures, and it says our failures, they were overcome on the cross. And so though the world might look at me differently because they saw me fall short, it does not change the way God looks at me. Because faith speaks into failure and says, no, Jesus accomplished it on the cross, and you are not a failure in the eyes of God. And, and faith speaks into rejection, and it says that we have been chosen and not rejected. Because uh, Scripture tells us that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that we did enough good things. It wasn't that we read our Bible enough times or said enough prayers. No, the sacrifice that was made was, was before we could do anything to deserve it but it was instead a, a gift. It was grace. It was God's gift to us. And so in that, we have been, we've been chosen, not rejected. Now, storms of life are probably raging in, in each of our lives, right? Uh, by the end of the day, or certainly by the end of the week, there's going to be things coming up uh, that, are, that are weighing heavy on us. And I would encourage us this week to consider how faith speaks into those situations. What does faith have to say about the details? On, on, on the macro level, on the big level, you know, faith speaks into uh, physical harm and failures and rejection. But on the micro level, we each have a question to ask. Where does faith speak into the storms that are raging in my life? What does God invite me to in this struggle and in this storm right now in life? And many of us know what it's like to be shackled by fear. Right? We, we know what it's like to, to just not know where to go and not know what to do next, to, to feel totally trapped by it. And I, I want to show a video this morning that um, it's out of an, an older movie, Moneyball. It's a baseball movie. I don't know if, if many of you have seen it. It's a pretty good movie. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge baseball fan, but it's a, it's a pretty good movie. And, and Brad Pitt in this movie is kind of redefining the way baseball can, can be um, – uh, played uh, not not the sport itself, but the way teams are developed. Right? He says there's a totally different way of thinking about um, how we manage and how we recruit for our baseball teams. And he is presenting something revolutionary, and he is fearful, and he is beaten down in this process. And so, in the clip that we're going to watch, he is uh, ready to give up on his dream, ready to give up on his vision. The the fear and the failure they have overcome him. And, uh, and, and he's at a loss at what to do. And so his friend steps in with a metaphor for him about how fear affects us. By Celia Oaks, now a 240-pound catcher, Jeremy Brown, who, as you know, scared to run the second base. This was in the game six weeks ago. This guy's going to start him off with a fastball. Jeremy's going to take him to deep center. 
Here's what's really interesting. Because Jeremy's going to do what he never does. He's going to go for it. He's going to round first, and he's going to go for it. Okay? This is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Oh, they're laughing at him. Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He hit a home run and didn't even realize it. metaphor. I know it's a metaphor. <laughs> All right. So here, here's what I see in that video. Here's what I see in that lesson. Uh, the, the fears of life, they cripple us, right? We're afraid to run for second base. We're afraid to take a risk. We're afraid to challenge ourselves. So often in life, we've gone ahead and, and stepped out in faith, right? We've gone ahead and, and tried, and we fell short, and, and then we've got failure and the laughter of people around us. And again, we find ourselves further crippled um, in this life by fear and, and by struggles. And... Um, and here's the beautiful thing about that video and about our story as followers of Jesus. He didn't realize the rest of what was playing out. Fear had, in fact, blinded him to the incredible opportunity, the beautiful thing that was happening, in, in that case, a home run. And so often in our lives, when we find ourselves crippled by fear and, and afraid to take that next step, we're totally blinded to the fact that 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 Jesus, that that we, through Jesus, man, we, we've hit a home run, and we're on to something good. That God is doing a beautiful and powerful work, and there is hope, and there is beautiful things ahead, and there's celebration at home base, and yet we find ourselves crippled by fear and blinded to the fact that this is a victory right now in our lives. So, so this week, as we face fears, as storms of life begin to rage, I'd invite you to two just really practical things on the subject. One, invite people, other people into the journey, right? In, in this clip, he needed his friend to share this metaphor with him that he could see that, that it was not a failure, but there, there was hope and there was potential, right? So invite people into the journey with, with you when you're facing storms of life because we have ability to carry each other and to help each other through this journey. Secondly, look back at the storms of life that have passed, I don't know, maybe do some journaling and consider how heavy and impossible the circumstances seemed in the moment and yet how good God was and how faithful God was through those moments. Let me invite you to this. When the storms rage in the week to come and we begin to ask ourselves, Jesus, don't you even care? What's going on here in life? I'd invite you to look to the cross for the answer. 
Because I think on the cross we find our answer. Does Jesus even care when the storms of life wage? And Jesus says, man, I care. I care this much. Right? Jesus says, man, and I die. I die for you. I care that much. And when the storms of life, life wage, remember that Jesus cares. And that one or two outcomes are in store. Jesus is calming the storm in our life. Or he is calming us in the midst of the storm. Invite Jesus for that kind of hope and that kind of healing when storms rage in the week to come. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to, to look into your word and, and to see the story, to hear the story. Father, we thank you um, that you are a God who is with us in the storms of life and that you care and, and that you calm the waters. So, Father, in our lives, as we face challenges and as we ask um, hard questions, Father, I pray that you will uh, reveal your power to us, that we can be amazed and in fear of your power, that we can ask, so who is Jesus as, as we witness your healing power in our lives? And Father, for those storms that don't resolve immediately, I pray that you will give us, uh, give us peace, Give us comfort. Uh, Calm us in those storms and in those seasons of life. We thank you that you are a good and loving God. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that shows how much you care and, and that speaks into the fear and the storms of life. Father, help us to be people of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.